Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fine episode of Casual Cognition. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of what it is to be a human being. We're going to talk about the microbiome, the negativity bias, and then we're going to have what will be a reoccurring discussion on ancestral lifestyles, basically how our tribal ancestors lived and behaved thousands of years ago and how it pertains to how we live today. Anyways, thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. How are you doing today, bud? Today is a grand and wonderful day for me. Feeling great. Super stoked about this conversation, as always. Yeah, this is like How my new you? favorite thing in the world to do. <laughs> nice. I'm I'm very glad that it's... Because uh, I know for you, you got to wake up real early to do these. Yeah, yeah. I definitely need some good motivation, but that's okay. I've got it. Yeah, man. I this is also one of my favorite things to do right now uh and it's just so cool that at the same time like we're having so much fun talking to each other and exploring these ideas and sharing our thoughts and we're also just getting so much positive feedback from people about how valuable they think it is and how much they enjoy and are entertained by our uh our chats so it's just like all around it's pretty amazing yeah yeah i've been getting a lot of positivity from people so we appreciate all the feedback and uh we hope to keep hearing from people and um hope to keep seeing new listeners coming on definitely yeah thank you guys so much for all of your support so far uh but i guess it's i guess we can just kind of dive right into it today our first topic is the microbiome. Uh, so for people, just quickly, I'll just briefly introduce the idea for, for people who don't know what it is or don't have like a, who haven't heard of this idea before. The microbiome is essentially like, it's like the ecosystem consisting of different bacteria, viruses, and fungi that exist in our gut, like in our gastrointestinal tract, especially in our um, small and large intestine. Yeah, and it has an effect on most of the things that your body does. Um, maybe not a direct effect on like motor function, but the function of all your digestive processes, your immune system, your nervous system, even the way you think. They're actually starting to do more and more studies on what they call the brain-gut connection and finding that the bacteria in your digestive tract actually affect how your brain works. Yeah, there's. I found some astounding statistics on, on that subject. Uh, that just completely blew my fucking mind. Um, first of all, because, you know, uh, last episode, 
or I guess that was two episodes ago, we talked a little bit about, or no, sorry, last episode, we talked a little bit about depression and anxiety and these different um, mental illnesses and relating them to our kind of crazy, uh, this crazy modern era that we're in with this inflow of information and consumption and all this stuff. But the thing that blew me away about this is 90% of the serotonin in our body is produced in the gut and 50% of the dopamine is produced in the gut. So, I mean, that is just a ridiculous amount of like these neurotransmitters that basically give us the feeling of happiness and well-being are being produced by bacteria that live and pretty much make uh, that make up the microbiome. So, you know, we think about our gut as like, oh yeah, it's my, you know, my intestines and my and my colon and blah blah blah, the GI tract. But the thing is, is like, or if you're like most... me, you pretty much think of it as a garbage disposal. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and but the thing that's so crazy is like the GI tract. Like, what what is actually happening? The the different processes that are occurring in there is. Like it's not, it's not human cells. Like it's a completely separate, um, or not separate because in some sense it makes up us as human beings, but like it's foreign genetic uh, material basically that is dictating so many of these processes. And what we found is that there's a bunch of uh, lifestyle and dietary factors that and uh, genetic factors that affect our microbiomes uh and so we're gonna kind of dive into the relationship between the microbiome and our well-being and we're gonna look a little bit into like um because because you know we like to be practical here as well so like we're not just gonna pontificate forever but we're actually you know, there's some very practical things that we can all do to improve our the health of our microbiome, the diversity of our microbiome, and and through that, our overall health and well-being. Yeah, I love the word pontificate. That's a great word. But um, so let's, I'll start off with something interesting that um, I don't know. More people are getting to know this nowadays, but still, probably a lot of people who don't know. Um, one of the most important factors for determining or predicting a person's gut health is whether they were born vaginally or a C-section mm. and whether they were breastfed and how long. So I myself was a C-section baby. I was barely ba- I was barely breastfed. Um, I wanted solid food. I was uh, I, I, my parents put me on solid food. A few weeks after I was born, because I was just voracious in my appetite. Um, but this is uh, could be coincidence, but it probably is related. I have a tremendous amount of allergies and um, sort of autoimmune type health issues in that way, and um, <clears throat> my immune system tends to be fairly weak. Um, my dad and I both have pretty bad digestive issues. Like, 
there's a lot of things that go into um, exactly where all this is from. I've also taken a lot of antibiotics in my life, which I have, uh, since I've been an adult, I've stopped. But especially whenever I was a kid, I had a real weak immune system. So I was taking antibiotics all the time, which is another thing that uh, is a predictor for bad gut health. Yeah, for people who don't know, antibiotics basically just nuke your entire body of of all bacteria. So people see bacteria as this like scary bad thing that's going to make you sick. But it's also an extremely integral part of being a healthy human being is having a complex and a wide diversity of different kinds of bacteria. If you killed all the bacteria in your system all at once, you would almost certainly die. Yeah, I actually know somebody who died uh, from, she had to take a extremely high uh, and like experimental antibiotic that nuked her system so bad that uh, she had obviously she had other health issues as well but basically what ended up happening is she took these antibiotics and then she was not able to recover because she couldn't digest any food Ugh. she could not digest food and she ended up dying a few years after just being in and out of the hospital wow uh, and they couldn't do anything they tried fecal transplants they tried all this stuff but her she was so nuked that it was just game over, and they were basically just prolonging her death by keeping her on IVs and trying to pump her with nutrients. Wow. You know, I um, I actually heard something interesting recently. This is not totally figured out yet, but it's a new theory about the appendix. You know, for a long time, they've... Um, said that like the appendix is like maybe a vestigial type of organ it doesn't really do anything Mm. but now they're thinking that the appendix might actually keep a large variety of bacteria cultures within it in Mm. case something like an antibiotic or something comes along that destroys the microbiome of the gut it actually releases these bacteria cultures to try and repopulate the gut bacteria Wow. So I think the appendix might be a dedicated organ for the health of your gut bacteria. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's really cool because, you know, initially both you and I started learning about this topic through um through Jeff Leach on on the Tangentially Speaking uh podcast. Great There's podcast. A bunch of really good podcast and that one in particular is really really cool like you said nate he's the perfect example of an autodidactic fellow because he actually ended up getting into like this world of the microbiome and nutrition and like gastro neurology and stuff uh with like no he didn't have any background in that he didn't he didn't go to school for it he just loves and is so interested in the topic that he just started reading all of the research and then he started straight up doing science like he went to South Africa he went and studied with an indigenous tribe he shoved 
poop in his own butt <laughs> to see what would happen. <laughs> uh, and that was actually super interesting because, uh, yeah, yeah, just to back up a He's little kind bit. kind of an like, Indiana Jones scientist, but, you yes, know, they, don't put, the, they, they don't put the poop in the butt part on screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I really respect that he... He didn't let the fact that he like doesn't have the certification or the piece of paper to keep him from doing the thing that he really loved and that he was interested in. Yeah, this man and, has no imposter syndrome. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I mean, uh, but yeah, so I guess we can talk a little bit about that. If you if you want to hear more about it, just check out the, the podcast, uh, Tangentially Speaking, and then uh, it's with Jeff, Jeff Leach. Leach. Spelled um, just like it sounds, L-E-A-C-H. Yeah, but I guess we can just quickly, like, or I, I would like to quickly just go over some of his findings. So so he went to, to South Africa and he lived with this uh, indigenous tribal population uh, the called Hadza. the Hadza. And basically he he was studying the difference between their microbiota and his or like in general the like industrialized or like modern microbiome which differ drastically uh in their diversity and um and that's basically what he found he found that the the diversity of their microbiome was um was just basically incredible. double yeah like there was twice as many different kinds of bacteria in their in their tracts as yeah uh, and they were the average american yeah and they were much less likely to have like bacterial overgrowths and like these these imbalances in in the microbiome that can create these weird um these weird diseases and stuff like that uh but i i want to relate it actually to because there was another study that came out recently, uh, and it was on the the they're called the Irish travelers, and it's like this ethnic minority. It's it's a similar kind of thing. It's this more like tribal um, and specifically nomadic group of people uh, living in Ireland, and basically. Uh, and, and I think, you know, there, there's a lot of studies or there's a few studies in here that I thought were really interesting. So maybe we'll just like link them in the show notes for people who want to read a little bit more. Yeah, but, I'm try and do better about putting shit in the show notes. <clears throat> yeah, I, I have some some notes here that I can send your send your way and we'll 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 get those in the sh- in the show notes for you guys who are uh, interested in checking this out more. But basically what they found is. um like this this like pre pre-industrial or like they called it the ancient microbiome is uh, associated with a potential decreased risk of uh different inflammatory chronic inflammatory diseases like Crohn's disease and um these different like autoimmune diseases basically and obviously in and the other way around because like they found that like oh basically none of the people in this tribe get crohn's disease it just doesn't happen like why is that and then in the modern in the modern uh 
world and people with the modern, I'm doing quotes, but like the modern microbiome have a hugely increased risk uh, in, in, in having some kind of chronic inflammatory disease. Um, and, but they, what was really cool is they, they also, yeah, they, the, the thing that makes the study so interesting is they, because there were like enforced lifestyle changes for this group. Uh, the government basically decided that they couldn't be nomadic any longer. So they forced them to stay in one right. place uh, because they're, <laughs> I don't want to be, I, I'm not sure. I was about to say because they're dicks, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not totally sure about that. That was my first guess, but. <laughs> <laughs> but basically they found that like altering their, their, you know, primary modality, their lifestyle, um, had some like health implications and and increased their risk of contracting or having one of these diseases so that's one of the uh one of the studies that i found that i thought was super super interesting because just to like relate it to for to make the connection about like why this matters is basically there is a like a mirror effect there is a direct connection between the like macro diversity of our environment and the micro diversity uh of our gut so this check this out nate i, I learned about this uh dr mary party her name is i learned about this from her and i just like whoa this is trippy so you think about your your GI tract. That mm -hmm. is basically the tube that goes from your mouth to your butthole, right? Yeah. It's a very fun place. Uh, and But the thing that I didn't realize is the GI, that tube, is technically on the outside of our bodies. So if you think about a roll of toilet paper you have the tube going through the middle the tube the surface of that is the outside interesting of, of that shape so the gi is actually on the outside of our body so it makes sense that it's going to mirror the diversity of the outside environment so basically there's a connection because in in the modern in the modern world the, uh, um, we're sterilizing everything. We're living inside. There's no, rarely plants and animals. Maybe you have a pet. Maybe you have a couple different plants. But for the most part, our environments are totally sterile. We're always washing our hands. We're and this is a really especially interesting, especially right now. Especially right now, like that. This is especially an interesting conversation this to be having in the midst of a good, pandemic. Yeah. This can't be good for the microbiome. What everybody's yeah, doing right now, They're exactly. Terrified of yeah. any kind of microbe. Yeah, and it's tough because you people like, are basically totally... racist against the good mi microbes. Hashtag yeah. not all microbes. <laughs> Yeah, and so so the, to me, it's a really interesting time to be talking about this because, of course, yeah, you don't want to be spreading disease, uh, but at the same time, you don't want to be killing yourself from the inside out. 
slowly, painfully. Uh, and I know, you know, that's going to be probably a better alternative for some people, um, depending on where they're at in their life and everything. But I just think it's, um, it's very interesting because if we quickly jump to, I just want to sprinkle in like, you know, some of these like practical things that we can do, uh, to improve the health of our microbiome. One of the things is just going in nature changing mm -hmm. your environment and going to an environment that is diverse in life go Walk roll in around socially in a distant woods yeah go to the woods roll around in the dirt <laughs> you know whatever it is like <laughs> swim in a pond swim in a pond the, you know it's it's um what, pe what people don't realize like dirt is i think it's like around 70% like mycelium and different kinds of fungus and bacteria. Good so it's dirt. like healthy dirt. Good healthy dirt. I mean, and this is another fucking conversation my man that we're yeah. going to get into about <laughs> the this goddamn dirt. monoculture <laughs> yeah. and and how we're destroying our super soil. Important. This is super fucking important. It's not woo-woo. It's science. It's extremely, extremely important. We're going to get into it in another yeah. episode. Today, we're going to talk about our body dirt. <laughs> yeah, and oh, what's that? The diversity. I mean, just to quickly, to if we want to zoom out again, and this is getting into the idea of fractals, which we're going to get into next episode. But if we zoom out and look at the biodiversity of the earth, like we're in the midst of a insane um you know there's a global mass extinction going on the diversity the biodiversity of our planet is getting killed off at unprecedented rates uh i think it's as bad or it's pretty much like at the rate uh when the fucking dinosaurs got exploded by <laughs> by uh the new the media the meteor strike and the fallout that happened afterwards so it's really really severe and what's happening with our microbiomes is it's like a mirror it's like a mirror effect uh so that's now we have like three layers that are happening you know we have this this microbiome thing and then our direct environment and then zooming out again and we have like the global environment and they're all uh connected yeah, and it's. I think it can get a little overwhelming to people because it's like it's it's another thing to freak out about. It's another yes. thing to be like, oh shit! Not only are <laughs> things going crazy out there, but things are actually going crazy inside my intestines. Like, yes, unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, um, there are some simple things you can do to improve your gut health. As Hank said, one of the best things is to just to just get out into nature and not worry about getting your hands dirty. Um, one thing that I uh, am, am trying to get into a little bit is foraging. Mm. And foraging is, you know, it's just taking edible plants from the, the wild and harvesting them in a sustainable way and eating them. And there's all kinds of good bacteria cultures out there. I remember one of the things that struck me in the uh, Jeff Leach interview with Chris Ryan was when he said, um, don't bother with taking a 
probiotic pill. Just go out and stick your hands in the dirt and uh, and put them in your mouth. That'll pretty much be the exact same thing. So one of the things that we can do that's practical, that doesn't require us to go out and get some weird probiotic regime that's probably not going to do a whole lot anyways, is you can just start trying to eat more di- more diverse plant diet. Yeah. So find new vegetables and new fruits to put into your diet that you normally don't eat. Um, there's tons of vegetables that you can go out and get. If you go to most grocery stores, they've got a great variety of different vegetables. They're not that difficult to cook. Once you learn how to cook like some of the vegetables, you'll know how to cook most of them. And you so don't you even can... have to cook all of them. You can just eat raw veggies as well. Yeah, but I think it's going to be harder to convince people to eat raw vegetables. It is better to eat raw vegetables probiotic-wise. But for me, at least, like I've got to, I've, to motivate myself to eat the kind of vegetables you need for a healthy biome, I've got to cook some of them. I do eat some raw vegetables. I like raw broccoli, raw carrots, uh, celery, stuff like that. But like, I like eating squash and zucchini and spinach and freaking asparagus and Brussels sprouts, all these different things. It's kind of hard to eat a Brussels sprout raw, you know? I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, <laughs> eating a Brussels sprout in general isn't the easiest thing to dude, I stomach, have but if you figured load out it up how with to butter. No, <laughs> no, no. Don't don't bother with the butter. You just sprinkle some olive oil on it. You cut them in half. You use a little salt and pepper, maybe a little paprika, and you stick them in the oven. Put them in yeah, the that's oven pretty much the only way. I, I've pan fried them and you can steam them. But if you put them in the oven at 425 for a good, like a, you know, maybe 25 minutes. Um, I've, I've made some really good Brussels sprouts. I don't normally like Brussels sprouts, but I've made some tasty ones. But I'm getting, getting off on a cooking tangent here. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to have to do a cooking episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of things about Brussels sprouts that are super good for you. Uh, but I mean, yeah, we'll, we can get into this a little bit later. I just want to yeah. keep on going on your, I guess we can just throw in uh, some of the other ways that we can improve our microbiome health. Yeah, so uh, we've got going out in nature. Yeah, going out in more, nature, getting dirty. More nature in your body. Yeah, so like gardening is another really good way to do that. And, and not wearing the gloves, but putting your hands yeah. in the soil, touching don't be afraid the bugs of dirt. and the and the dirt and the plants and everything. Um, another thing which you kind of got into, like I mean, yeah, eating vegetables, that's a really good one. But more specifically, like eat more fiber because mm-hmm. fiber is a prebiotic. It feeds the bacteria and the and the different microbiota in our gut, especially the ones that we want. Sugar tends to feed like candida and like these these different fungi and stuff that we don't necessarily want too much of. It's fine to have a certain proportion of that, but I know a lot of people struggle with that. Um, also, very specifically, there's a uh, there's a component in like onions, garlic, and leek called inulin, which is a really good prebiotic. Uh, so just eating. Sp- 
eating more like onions and garlic. Um, that's another good way. And then what else? Yeah, if seriously, people, if you can, like avoid antibiotics at all costs. Yeah, it's it's it, you should definitely think of antibiotics as like a low grade chemotherapy. Like you yes. only use that stuff in the absolute worst last case scenario. Last the last resort, time man. I used it, I was literally coughing up blood, and like I had to do a breathing treatment, and the um the the urgent care I went to didn't want to treat me. They wanted me to go to the ER, and I was like, woman. I live in America. I can't go to the ER. I can't afford that. <laughs> so you, either you're going to treat me or I'm going to go to the urgent care that's five miles down the road and I'm going to lie to them about my symptoms so they'll treat me. <laughs> and she sure enough, she did. But um, that was the last time I had antibiotics. I literally caught, was coughing up blood, so I had pneumonia. Yeah. And I'd been sick for over two weeks, so it was like a serious sickness. I do have, as I said, I've got like, allergies and and lung issues and stuff like that so if i do get sick like that i can sometimes need an antibiotics but it, 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 i think the the easy rule of thumb is if you're sick for longer than two weeks and it's not getting any better and it's continuing to worsen then you might want to consider taking some antibiotics yeah but that, that's like the very bare minimum until you get to that point like this, our culture these days, I think kind of pressures us into taking stuff like that because you only, I mean, you take two days off work and they're like, all right, you ready? You ready to come back? Well, did you get some antibiotics? Are you going to get better quicker? Yeah. And I mean, I know my, my dad has done that sort of thing a lot, like just gotten a little cold. And the, one of the things is he, he's a veteran so he goes to the VA and I swear they give those guys like medicine any kind of medicine they'll give him fucking painkillers antibiotics benzos sleeping pills whatever whatever will shut him up Jesus so he's just got antibiotics like on hand he doesn't even have to go to the doctor he's just got like a stash of them and he'll Dude, just take insane. them when he start when he starts feeling feeling a little sick and Sure enough, he has horrible digestive issues. He's dealt with them for years. Yeah. And I've tried to tell him over and over again. Didn't listen. Finally, he got a girlfriend recently that's kind of got a little bit of a hippie side in her, and she's into holistic medicine and things. And she is, like, adamant that he that he can't take antibiotics unless he's really bad. And she's gotten him, like, drinking kombucha and stuff. <laughs> nice. So Dude, that's I, another thing, I, people, kombucha. Yes, that's, fermented that, foods, sauerkraut, yeah. kombucha, kimchi, mm -hmm. uh, beer, anything good beer. that's fermented. <laughs> good beer, good quality beer. If it's really unfiltered. good, unfiltered, uh, then I'll allow it. But in general, that fucking bullshit, Bud Light or whatever you're drinking, like that is not doing you any favors in the yeah, um, Kona the Brewing, the, the Hawaiian one with like... Um, Big Wave and Kua Bay and um, uh, Longboard. They're from Hawaii. They're coming brown bottles. That's a uh, um, bacterially active beer. And if you get uh, one of these quality like craft beers that comes in, usually it needs to be in a brown bottle and it needs to be fairly fresh. But 
you can actually look in the bottom of the bottle and you can see these little floaties in there and that's the bacteria cultures so if you get like a really high quality craft beer that comes in a brown bottle there's a you can look and see if it's if it's active in there and yeah. kombucha will have these little floaties in there these bacteria cultures so if you're thinking about trying to get like a probiotic I would highly suggest instead of taking some kind of pill, just finding one of these fermented things. Don't just drink the beer. If you <laughs> drink yeah. kombucha, like you said, kimchi, um, find some of these fermented foods because that also, like a kombucha, gives you the whole starter culture that you need in your body. It gives you the the food and the bacteria and like all the different things that it thrives on as it's already thriving on in the kombucha so it gives it kind of a boost to get going in your stomach and i drinking kombucha regularly has helped my digestion out a lot and i'm pretty sure i've been less sick lately too over Mm. these past two or three years although that's probably related to a bunch of different things. Yeah, because you've also been eating way more vegetables in general. And taking less antibiotics, so. Yeah. It's a it's a whole big grouping of different things, but it's not and that And doing difficult. yoga and meditation and uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 well, getting healthier. <laughs> but it is important. I do think that these, these um, strategies can work, can help you get a healthier microbiome you're not going to look like the hadza but you're going to be closer to the um uh, the profile that you want to see out of your gut biome you got any others before we uh move on to our next subject i guess strategies uh, i guess i can just i can just throw down a couple more things that i found interesting uh that that people might value or enjoy so the first thing uh which people may may have heard of this already but scientists uh and people in general are starting to refer to the gut as the second brain (laughs) uh and we talked a little bit about the gut brain connection uh but so the gut has a hundred million neurons which is more than in the spinal cord or in the peripheral nervous system. So it's has the highest concentration of neurons besides in the brain. And one other thing that I found very astounding is, uh, so for, for people who don't know uh, the vagus nerve, so the vagal nerve is, is it's one of the, it's basically, hmm, how do, how do I describe it? It's, it's very related to uh, our our state of uh, our nervous system state. So we have the fight or flight state and the rest and digest state. And so in the modern era, most human beings are living in fight or flight basically all the time uh, for reasons that we'll get into later. Uh, but then there is the like the yin, of that like that that's kind of the yang if we think about it from the yin yang perspective that's yang and then yin rest and digest so that's like uh nourishing and healing and resting basically and the vagus nerve like stimulating the vagus nerve 
creates a rest and digest response. Um, and this is getting a little bit outside of our topic, but I, but like some different ways that you can stimulate the vagal nerve is through uh, like breathing exercises, through uh, singing or mantra or even just talking, like ha having a conversation. So it's, it's uh, close to your esophagus so you can actually vibrate it through uh, different breathing and singing and whatnot. However, what I wanted to say, just to bring it back to what we were talking about, so 90% of the, of the fibers in the vagus nerve bring information from the gut to the brain, mm, not the that. other way around. So 90% of it is, is this, it's a information superhighway coming from the gut into our brain. So that kind of tells you how much of an effect it has on our, on our state, whether we're in fight or flight or rest and digest. And fight or flight is also associated with stress, anxiety, uh, intense intensity. And Which then are not good for your digestion or your gut biome. No, because, okay, think about it like this. Let's say you, you're eating a meal. You're, you're in the savanna and you're eating a meal. You're having some nice meat. You, you like caught a, a, an antelope or whatever and you're like grubbing with your homies and you're eating this and then a pack of hyenas comes and decides that they want the antelope carcass that you guys are feasting on. I know this is kind of maybe a little visceral for some people, but um, a hyena comes and eats the antelope's asshole next to get his <laughs> mighty bacterial cultures. <laughs> One of the men is torn apart by the pack. <laughs> Yeah, and and what ha what happens is okay. So so all of a sudden, the guy next to you has a hyena around his throat, and he's ripping his throat out. Jesus Christ, this is explicit content, people. <laughs> and so, what are you gonna do? You're gonna fucking run as fast as you can because he's already dead. You're not gonna save him. He's done. So you're gonna fucking run the fuck out of there as fast as you can, keeping your eyes peeled in case anything starts chasing you. Uh, but the thing is, is what happens in your body is your body is like, okay, this food in my stomach does not matter. I don't need to digest this because if I focus my energy on digesting this food, I'm dead. So everything goes into cortisol, stress, uh, bringing blood adrenaline. to the muscles, adrenaline, bringing blood to the muscles and oxygen so you can get the fuck out of there. Uh, and you basically just shit the food straight out. You won't get anything out of it. And what happens, which is so interesting, is people today, we're eating our food, and but we're stressed. We're thinking about, oh, what's happening at work? Or am I going to be able to fucking make it? Or, oh, the, all this shit. So we're in a state of stress. Uh, so our digestion is not functioning properly we, we're in we are in i need to get the fuck out of here mode or i need to fight this rather than okay i'm safe i'm with you know i'm sitting around the campfire i have my whole community around me nothing can harm me uh and now i can actually take the time to rebuild and rejuvenate and renew my energy uh and to incorporate this 
these um, different nutrients and food particles into my body uh, and rebuilding part, you know, the, the structure of the brain, the muscles, all of this different stuff. It only happens in rest and digest mode. Uh, and that, so it's, so that's kind of the connection with the vagus nerve, because that is one of the things how we can stimulate rest and digest. Uh, and we can also get completely lost in this fight or flight thing, which actually this kind of segues perfectly into I was thinking. the next thing here, which is, uh, we want to talk about the vestigial survival mechanism known as the negativity bias. Yes. And this does relate pretty perfectly with what we were just talking about. Um, it, it, we pretty much introduced it already here with, uh, with your example with the pack of hyenas as to why it's there. So it's, it's pretty much this um, tendency of our brain to... Um, so, so we, we, we get, I forget the exact number, but it's in the, the number of billions of data packets of single points of data every minute that we're conscious. And we can only really like focus on and process a few thousand of those. And eight to nine out of 10, uh, 80 to 90% of those that we process and directly um, kick around in kind of our forebrain are negative points of data. Yeah, so it's basically, it's basically the tendency of human beings to hyper-focus on negative experiences, thoughts, and emotions. Yeah, and because of this sort of survival mechanism, because... You know, it's it's actually kind of funny because people have this ridiculous view of um, ancient man, which we're going to talk about more later, um, where it's like, oh, they were, you know, constantly struggling for survival and they had to deal with all these diseases and all these struggles and difficulties. Turns out that the vast majority of the time that you're conscious as a hunter-gatherer it's really chill and enjoyable. You don't work as much. The The dangers are actually few and far between. The overwhelming majority of your time is spent relaxing and enjoying yourself. And so... Yeah, I guess the main difference would be, you know, the, the instances of, like, physical life-threatening danger would be much higher uh, than what we would experience today. But still not that, not like... You're not going to get chased by lions every day. That might happen. You might no. run into a predator like once or twice a month. But, you know, it's it, it it's not like you're struggling to survive all the time. But those instances when you do run into a danger, like you said, it's a serious life-threatening danger. So yeah. we need to be on the lookout um, as, a, as a hunter-gatherer you know, if you go up to a piece of fruit and it turns out to not be a piece of fruit, turns out to be a poisonous mushroom, the um, the sort of positivity of, you know, seeing some fruit and um, 
and being hungry for that fruit, wanting the fruit. That's sort of the positive side. The negative side needs to be like, oh, this is a mushroom. It could be poisonous. Or that color could be a freaking tiger hiding in the bush. Yeah. So we're, we're hyper-focused on these negative things because the consequences are often life or death in the landscape that we grew up in as a species. Yes. Now, none of our interactions typically are life or death except for maybe driving a car and our brains don't really know how to differentiate no it's a huge it's actually a huge it's a huge problem because um you know at, at this point in in our development as human beings like like the negativity bias like i, I you know i kind of started by saying it's the vestigial survival mechanism of course it's still very important to be able to recognize negative patterns and to be able to see when you're in danger. But the thing is, is it's, it's starting to, it's like pervasive in all areas of, of our lives, including just the way that we think about waking up in the morning or going to work or eating a meal or talking with somebody or seeing seeing people on the street or like it's 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 pervasive and everything and and you know we've we've we're kind of in this society and culture that is so kind of inundated with um with like information stimulus so i feel that our minds are so overstimulated that um, you know, we're spending more time with our, we're spending more time like in our minds and not as much in our bodies. Whereas, you know, if you think about the hunter gatherer, if you're on a hunt or if you're chasing or if you're drumming or singing or, you know, it's, it's more, your experience is more in your body. And now we've gone more into being in our minds and intellectualizing and pontificating and all of, and that. And, and, um, but the negativity bias is credit reports and tax numbers. Yes, and exactly. Bullshit. Yes, and and that's that's you know it relates to one of the conversations we had previously on this podcast because the negativity bias is actually it's we are being exploited by media and news companies because they know that we are going to pay attention ninety percent more to negative. Uh, news articles and negative things that are happening. That's why it's all it's all negative because that's what you're going to click on and that's what you're going to pay attention to because of this uh, survival mechanism. Yeah, and that actually goes back to um, our previous conversation about uh, social media addiction. Yeah, exactly. You know, these, these companies, they know exactly how to push your buttons. They have people who are professional psychologists and professional marketing people working together to try and exploit these various triggers that are uh, built into the human system. And this is another one. You know, sex is one. Um, the, the sort of dopamine trigger is one. And one of them is this fight or flight response of like fear and negativity and how our, our brains tend to want to focus on things that could potentially be dangerous. 
So that's why you see on any kind of cable news, you know, you've got these big, you know, these intense no soundtracks, and then they get in there. Breaking news today in the Middle East, we have another terrorist attack that killed 127 people, and it's like that's it doesn't put you in any danger at all, but it seems like it's dangerous. It's like this yeah. vague feeling of maybe I should pay attention to this because it could potentially be reflect on, on me as dangerous. And this is where you get into, um, if you follow the news a lot, you'll see these cycles of like, as soon as they find something to latch your fear onto, that'll be the, the talk of the town for a week or two. Yeah. And then they'll find something else and they'll just jump on oh, just from, from fear to fear to fear. And one thing that I've noticed after years of uh, watching and uh, eventually putting down the normal cable news for the most part is that they never resolve anything or they never go back. If no. something stops being dangerous, they don't say, oh, yeah, by the way, this is you no longer need to be worrying about this. <laughs> it's like, like just keep piling the shit on, man. Yeah. Just keep piling yeah. it on. The the fear is their version of our reoccurring segment. Like, yeah, we're gonna freak <laughs> you out about that in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it, we, Hank and I just think it's so important for ever, us all to be mindful about this negativity bias and know that um, our our brains are going to focus on that and are going to um, trick us in a little bit of a way. But to protect us, not because our brains are trying to work against us or something like this. It's just, it's an instinctual response, um, as you call it, a vestigial response. So we, we need to be kind of gentle with ourselves and patient with ourselves about it, but be mindful that sometimes we can't trust our own perceptions because they're yes. being warped by instinct. Yeah, really good point, dude, because, you know, we we know, you know, our listeners, they're pragmatic people. They love Smart. learning. They love being creative. Beautiful. But they're people. also pragmatic. They're not just gonna like absorb a bunch of information kind of haphazardly and then just forget about it. But it's like, okay, well what can we do? Like how how can we how can we stand up? Uh, and take control of our own state rather than letting these reptilian uh, survival mechanisms like control how how we're living. And uh, there's a couple of different things. You mentioned one of them, um, which is basically just becoming more aware of of this process. So like, and one of the perfect ways to do that, which we've talked about. Um, talked about in the last episode is is through meditation mm -hmm. because it is essentially like a big aspect of it is just being a witness and just watching what happens and then realizing like oh that's this is kind of something that happens but you kind of realize oh that's not me so the negativity bias like when you hear these negative thoughts that are happening in your head that's not you that's a story um, and like to, to be able to distance ourselves and become aware of that, then we can actually, and then realizing 
wait a minute. I don't have to believe the thoughts that are happening in my head. You know, like, <laughs> it's so weird. Like, when I first heard that, I heard that from Eckhart Tolle, and I was just like, wow. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. We don't have to believe the thoughts that occur in our head. That is just like, wow, okay. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that next time I think of something fucked up or I get lost in this whirlwind of thinking about, oh, shit, how am I going to do this? And, oh, I got to getting, you know? Yeah, it's one of the first things you learn when you develop a regular meditation practice is that you don't control the creation of your own thoughts. They don't really come from something you're trying to do. They just come unbidden. They come naturally. And, you know, they're related to you as a person, as a personality, as an ego. But it's just sort of like a, like a, like sometimes it's just a little zit that pops up in your brain. There's nothing you can yeah. do about it coming up. Yeah. And you just got to let it go and not follow it down a, a, a thought rabbit hole and, yeah. and get lost in it. And then to go, um, like, if so if you also, if you want to do something proactive, so like meditation would be something of like, okay, now I can actually see what's happening. I can actually distance myself from the thoughts and watch them and not attach to them and believe that they're real. And then the other thing that we can do, uh, which, which is incredible, has done wonders for me and my overall well-being is uh, practicing gratitude. So, And that's basically just the opposite of the negativity bias. You're focusing mm -hmm. on the things that you do have and being thankful for, wow, like look at this amazing uh, vessel of a body that I'm inhabiting and this insanely complex mind that comes up with all these insane ideas and connects things together and my amazing relationships and my uh my musical instruments and my and this food and everybody that that put in all this work to get this food to where it is on my table going into my belly feeding my microbiome you know like and through focusing on those things that's not to say that we just totally discount the bad things that are occurring in our lives but the thing is is when we hyper focus on those like that's what we end up manifesting, you know? And then we and then we have this this um negative feedback loop where it's like, okay, I'm hyper focusing on negative things and then oh, see look, something bad happened. See look, it is all shitty. It is all negative. But if we switch it to the other, if we, you know, switch from to go to the other pole, we can create a positive feedback loop. We focus on what we do have, and then we notice more and more, wow, that thing is amazing too, and that's in my life, and that's something that I can connect with. That's been absolutely life-changing for me. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because one thing that Chris Ryan talks about in his study of these uh, tribal cultures, these hunter-gatherer cultures in the modern world well, you know what I mean? They're not in the modern world, but they're in modern the modern time, but they're living the same way that pretty much the same way that we lived 20, 30,000 years ago. 
is that they do have a strong culture of gratitude. It's mm. a big part of how they structure their social order and their rituals and their uh, religions and, and all these different things. Gratitude is a huge part of this. And it's so funny because, you know, we kind of look down on these people as as modern humans and yet they tend to be way happier than us they tend to just have so much gratitude and love for everything that's around them and you know they they kind of look at us as is kind of maniacs and and just like (laughs) hilariously i've heard a lot of people who've talked to these tribal cultures say that they actually tend to pity us. Yeah, and feel that, I don't blame that them. we've yeah that we've that we're like so ignorant and so lost that we don't even know that we're fucked. Yeah, and I mean, they, look at the <laughs> look at the mental health crisis that we oh, that we man. talked about. I mean, Jesus, man. There's so much. There's so much that goes into what the modern world has done to this. But before we get into that because that's going to be our next topic. I did want to mention something um, with the negativity bias that's practical. Um, and I've, I've talked about this particular practice before, but in this particular context, I think it can be especially helpful and important. Um, so your breathing is one of the main ways that you connect your mind and your body and connect to the outside world. Because as you were saying earlier, our gastrointestinal tract is in a way outside of our body, but so is our lungs. And you're constantly cycling in air from the outside in your lungs. And one of the ways that I've noticed I can kind of tell where my mind is, where my body is, um, is how I'm breathing. How Such my, a good point, dude. Yeah, like... It, are my shoulders rising up and down when I'm breathing? Is my chest expanding? Or am I getting air down into my diaphragm? Mm. In your the lower part of your lungs down in your diaphragm, when you feel your expe- your your breath expand out your stomach, that is where the the um the most oxygen absorbing areas are in your lungs. And you know, you've got these powerful chest muscles that can kind of cycle in air in and out really quickly when you're exercising and you need to like like have a lot of oxygen intake but when you're relaxed and when you're um or at least when you want to be relaxed and calm your breath should be a lot more in the diaphragm and you can actually reverse engineer this state where if you notice yourself kind of stressed out or kind of anxious you can actually just try to focus on pushing air down into the bottom of your lungs, into your diaphragm, take some deep, slow breaths into that lower part, and you'll actually forcibly calm your body down and and start to put it into this more restful state. And, you know, if, if I have to do this, sometimes I'll just close my eyes, pull the car over or something like that, and just take some deep breaths. And, you know, people have been saying that forever. Why don't you just take some deep breaths? But I think it's important to remember how to take these deep breaths if you want yes. to do that. You know, because if you sit there and you go... And Hyperventilating? Yeah, yeah, it's not going to help. Yeah. But if you take 10 or even five 
deep, slow breaths into your diaphragm, I promise you it will calm you down. Yes. It, it just works. And, and another thing uh, relating back to the vagus nerve. So if you – it's kind of hard to explain, but basically if you breathe in um, with like noise – in yoga, they call it uh, like ocean breath, but it's basically you kind of like you don't tighten, but you kind of like close the top of your throat a little bit so that the air channel is smaller. And it kind of sounds like so it kind of sounds a little bit like. I don't know if you can hear that. But it sounds like the, it kind of sounds like a wave, you know, the tides coming in and out of an ocean. That's why they call it that. It's like you're kind of whispering or something as you breathe a little bit. Yeah. And that stimulates the vagus nerve, which puts you in rest and digest, which is basically associated with calmness, peacefulness, tranquility, relaxed state. Um, so that's kind of a, an extra layer that you can add on there. Um, breathing into the diaphragm is definitely the most important aspect, but if you want to, uh, kind of charge it with a little extra, you can, you can try doing the ocean breath. Yeah. And one thing that I've done last practical thing is I've been trying to eat with more mindfulness and great one dude and that connects bad. to our first topic as well yeah i am bad about eating in the car eating while i'm at my desk working just eating eating pretty much everywhere except for where i should be eating which is at a table or a chair and just focusing on eating you know maybe listening to a little music or you know a light-hearted podcast or something like that if if i'm you know, out at work by myself, but still just taking the time, taking a half hour to an hour, sitting down and eating. And just noticing what does it smell like? What does it feel like when you put it in your mouth? What does it feel like when it goes into your stomach? Oh, do you have a stomach ache after eating that? Okay, maybe it's not the best thing for you. Well, you know I mean, what else? The biggest thing that I've noticed doing this is that I eat less. Hmm. Yeah, I'm you eat full, more slowly. Uh, yeah, and I'm full quicker. Yeah. Because I'm paying attention to everything, and so I'm not just stuffing my fucking face as I'm distracted, and then 20 minutes later, like, oh, why is my stomach gigantic, and I feel it's like It's funny shit. you say that, because 20 minutes is how long it takes for the... Basically, for the trigger of your stomach being like, hey, yo, I'm full yeah. to go to the brain. So that's why, if you, that's why if it's you, so easy to overeat. Exactly. So if you stuff your ass in less than 20 minutes, then you're just you're going to receive I'm full long after you're way overstuffed. But if you eat slowly, then you give yourself time to just like, oh, OK, I'm full now. I can stop. Uh, and I know overeating is a big problem for a lot of people. Uh, and the thing is, is like, yeah, and, and it's also related to, and like mastication, chewing. How does it feel in your jaw and your face to chew the food? I mean, that's one of the, that's the only 
mechanical part of digestion is the mastication. The rest is all chemical reactions that are happening. If you don't chew your food, you have these massive chunks, it's going to be really hard for your body to uh, break down and absorb the nutrients from whatever you're eating. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I guess kind of looped back around into our first topic, but that's okay. Uh, that's, that's okay. I think that's, that's all really helpful information for all of us, I think. Yeah. But um, I think this is a perfect time to get into our final segment here, which is um, another favorite subject of ours and relates very heavily into these first two things we've talked about. Um, what was the word, what was the phrase you used for it, Hank? So I, I've been thinking about it as the, the ancestral lifestyle. Ancestral lifestyle. That is a good one. Um, what we, what we're talking about here is essentially something that we've been touching on today and it's that the lifestyle of ancient man tribal cultures hunter-gatherers is the the modality of what the human system is designed for or evolved for and it is seemingly the um the best way for us to live our lives and there's a lot more research coming out on this now it's become a a fairly hot topic on the on the cutting edge of anthropology and evolutionary biology and human psychology and these different fields and um somebody that we mentioned a couple of times already uh dr chris ryan he is a um one of the leading voices in this field, and I highly recommend his podcast and his books. Um, I fairly recently read his new book, Civilized to Death, and it is incredible. I'm going to probably have to read it three more times because it's just so chock full of information, and it's not some dry, dusty textbook that's just filled with stats. Like He's a, he's a good author. He's an interesting person, tells lots of stories. But um, it the the modern lifestyle takes so much of the um the environment that we're built to exist in and thrive in and then adds so much that our system is not built to handle yeah that we're seeing so many problems come out of that that we didn't really relate to it before and mm. one of the one of the first things that comes to mind is how people will often say, I already said this earlier, but, oh, everybody back then, they just had to deal with struggling for survival and disease and and people didn't live past 35 and all this stuff. And all of that is nonsense. I already mentioned why the the physical danger part is nonsense. They're not in as much physical danger as you'd think. They're not running from lions all the time. The other thing is the disease thing. Because people often will wonder, like, well, I mean, without vaccines, and I'm not shitting on vaccines, trust me, people. <laughs> um, but without all these different medical procedures and surgeries and things, you know, how, that, that would be horrible. Like, we'd be riddled with sickness and disease all the time. 
Well, it turns out that the immune systems and the microbiomes of these tribal people is just so far superior to human beings and the environment that they're living in has so much less strange plague type diseases in it that they just don't get diseases. They don't exist. Cholera doesn't exist. Smallpox doesn't exist. Freaking the common cold doesn't really exist. Cancer, non-existent. As you were saying, Crohn's disease and all these strange inflammatory diseases, not there. Yeah. Most of the things that we deal with in the medical field these days are non-existent to a hunter-gatherer. Yeah, and, and I, I do want to say, like, because I think there is also this um, tendency, because I kind of was in this thing of basically, like, completely idolizing and just like, oh, that's the holy grail of how we should live. And there are so many elements and things that we can learn from our ancestors and how they lived and to, you know, incorporate those practices and those lifestyle um those those kinds of lifestyles into our lives to make us more healthy and happy but like of course it's not i mean being a human being is fucking hard no matter what time you're from of course they had to deal with problems like you have other tribes that could come from the valley over and kill your whole like family and everybody you know like that happened you could get eaten by a lion like it's, you know, it's not like they were just living in this Shangri-La where everything was okay all the time. But when we look at, like, the thing is, is when we look at how we can improve our own health and well-being, we can be informed so much by the way our ancestors lived. If we, if we can emulate what they did besides like yeah killing people from the valley over like war you know it's really cool what like one of the things just just so i can give a little pat on the back to like modern society like one of the things that's really cool is instead of like murdering each other we just like play sports against each other you know and that's like our way of being tribal and of um you know a healthier way of kind of dealing with you know and and being in the warrior kind of archetype um so i just wanted to like throw a little bit of that out there because like we also we're not just saying that like oh yeah we should all just go back into tribes and start killing each other and shit but uh i think we do obviously at least for I'll speak from speaking for myself and i guess i know nate and i uh, agree on a lot of this stuff so we definitely think that there are so many elements to that way of living that that we can emulate that'll improve our lives. We have when we talk about the the external factors, the environment, the lifestyle stuff, walking around, moving most of the day, uh, being social, being in groups, having a sense of community, eating a varied diet, um, being outside, having fresh air, being uh, having our feet on the ground sun in our eyes um yeah yeah and i i definitely agree with you that um we're not 
advocating that everybody start being hunter-gatherers is just not realistic. There's too many people. It's, uh, you know, a hunter-gatherer has been trained from birth to be a hunter-gatherer. Yeah. If you're 35 years old and you've been living in the modern world, you're not going to be able to go out with the Hadza and become a Hadza very easily. I mean, Jeff Leach did do some of that. He did become a hunter-gatherer to study them for a while, but he's a special guy. You know, most people aren't going to find it conducive to their lives to go to Africa or go to South America and, and learn to be a hunter-gatherer. Um, but like you were saying, there are... Um, we need to focus our um, our attention on the differences between that lifestyle and the way, as I said, our species grew up and how we can emulate it in the modern world. Yeah. So one of the things that you and I have been talking about a lot and is a big um, intention for this podcast is trying to develop a community, a sense of community. Mm. And people are doing this a little bit more online and realizing that social media as it's modeled now um, for most people is not really that community that we're looking for. There's not enough... Um, uh, engagement between people. There's not enough like active um, socialization going on. Yeah, there's not really but, like a, a strong intention either. It's kind of just yeah. like a free for all of whatever. Look at me. <laughs> yeah, look at me. This is cool. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're we're trying on here. One of our intentions is to try and build some kind of community that can help emulate the this very extremely strong sense of community that was felt in hunter-gatherer tribes and is still felt in hunter-gatherer tribes throughout the world but there's lots of different things that we can do there's food there's social things there's um exercise i think in my opinion um you touched on this earlier I think that it's really important to be around animals and plants. And yeah. I i mean, I love having animals and plants in my house. I've got um, like four or five pets and probably 20 to 30 plants. Um, most of them pretty small. I, we have lots of succulents and stuff. But that variety of plants and animals is really good for you, mind yeah, and body. Dude, literally just having the color green like seeing the color green has positive effects on your mood and Not your just that. mental there's well-being. Been studies, there's been studies that have shown that people in hospitals who have their window out looking out into like a forest or a park versus looking out into like a parking lot, they recover faster. Yeah. Your body is, I mean, I, I could go on and on about this, but people just think that we're, ba that we're just meat robots walking around. Yeah, they they don't they they're not mindful of the fact that everything around you affects your body, affects it in a physical way. Yeah, how you breathe, what you're breathing, what you're eating, how what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're thinking, everything affects you in a physical way. There's like uh, one of the things that bugs the, the the shit out of me is that you know mental health has become this this sort of buzzword these days. You've got your physical health and you've got your mental health. It's like, dude, those are the same thing. Like your, it, your health is your health. Your mental health, like your brain is a physical part of your body. 
Yeah. People just have this weird view that our our mental landscape is somehow disconnected from our physical body. It's really yeah. not. And dude, they actually um I forget who it was. It was like one of it was like one of the previous secretaries of health in the US and he basically he just came out and said 90 to 95% of all diseases are related to lifestyle like could be basically could be avoided due to proper lifestyle and diet i bet 90 he got to so much flack for that he got he had to redact his statement he, I, I don't know if he got <laughs> fired but like he they just they were like no you cannot say that we have an entire fucking industry that is completely dependent on the idea that we can fix you by pumping you full of fucking artificial chemicals we have a uh, consumer economy that is built on yeah, sacrificing not even just the health and well-being just, yeah, Jesus. of people for money. Yeah, so um, that's something. Uh, and we, yeah, so we're, what we're saying is, okay, if, if we're the most sick and diseased and ill uh, group of human beings that have ever walked the earth, then how can we look back at our ancestors and see what they were doing that was working. And one of the things, I mean, if you think about it, like, okay, let's just take a step back here. Human beings, this iteration uh, is basically around 300,000 years old. Um, and for up until um, maybe somewhere between 10 and 15,000 years ago uh or like maybe 8 and 15,000 years ago we became agricultural society and then in the last uh 150 years 160 years we became an industrial uh society and culture and like one of the things that I have thought about is like okay so what what are some of the differences like we've already highlighted some of the differences there's there's the environment so the very diverse environment with lots of different plants and animals being in fresh air being in the sun uh you know we actually have we have tiny little capillaries in our eyes that when they're exposed to uv they actually clean out different viruses that are in our blood in our eyeballs and everyone's walking around with fucking sunglasses and <laughs> stuck inside all day. Uh, I mean, this, these are just little things here and there, you know, but it, but it adds up. And like another thing I thought about for literally 300,000 years, every single human being was basically for their entire lives in direct contact with the earth which is mm. a huge source of electrons so when we're getting bombarded with uh light uv radiation all this stuff we're picking up positive charge but by being connected to the earth the earth is a sink and it uh basically feeds us with electrons which balances us out so that we're at a neutral state electromagnetically the thing is um uh, I think it was, I don't know exactly, sometime in the last 100 years, we, we started manufacturing shoes 
uh, out of synthetic materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're actually, so it's like rubber and they're insulating us from the earth. And not only that, but we're actually exposing ourselves to way more different types of radiation. We're, we're picking up all of this positive charge. And so we're, we're literally walking around disconnect, like literally disconnected from the earth. And, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of, um, studies that have gone into uh, studying this because I mean, how are you going to make any money? Like this is another thing. Like, Telling people to stop wearing shoes. Yeah, yeah it doesn't make a lot of money. It doesn't make sense. And and this is one of the things about the scientific community that's really unfortunate is like studies don't happen for the most part unless somebody is going to make money off of it. And of course, I know that's a little bit cynical, but for the most part, it's true. Um, yeah, most, it is. Most of these studies are being funded by industry. They're being funded by private companies. Uh, and that's just the unfortunate truth of the matter. There's still a lot that we can learn from that, but no one's going to be studying this. But but I think it's interesting to think about. And I'm not saying that oh you're not grounded and it's making you sick. You're gonna get cancer because of that. But hey, I don't fucking know. I, we don't know yeah. how this changes I don't think things. You and need to go as far as one guy that I saw who had a copper wire connecting the outside of his house like he put it into a ground rod in the ground and then like hooked it up to a little like wooden bench <laughs> underneath his computer that he was keeping his feet on yeah <laughs> I've, like, se- okay. I've seen that a lot and they're actually I there are some interesting uh, studies that they've done regarding inflammation they found a huge reduction in inf- uh, inflammation with people who who were uh like using those like grounding mats uh, Weird, that were man. that were basically allowing themselves to be charged with electrons to neutralize their their electromagnetic and and, and this is the thing I'm going to be pissed if that old man was right because I was <laughs> definitely making fun of him in my mind. Yeah, I mean and that's totally cool. Like it's fine to be skeptical. I think it's important to not just believe everything you read on the internet. But there is like there is something going on here because I mean we are we are basically antenna, like mm-hmm. our, we we are electromagnetic biochemical machines, and we react. We are constantly receiving all receiving and emitting all kinds of information from our environment. It's happening all the time, no matter what, even if we're fucking asleep, and you know the there is some effect of we know there are effects from light we know there are effects from different types of electromagnetic radiation uh some of them have been studied more than others uh but that's just one of one of the other things that i've thought about because yeah and like with the the earth has a electromagnetic it it, it is emitting an electromagnetic field it is a sink if you think about this in in like electromagnetism terms it makes sense this stuff isn't just like total bullshit but again like we don't know exactly what it is it's something that's super interesting to think about i think and i'm just really curious like the people who are listening to this who are like totally triggered you know because you hear about like (laughs) grounding and like you know that thing and the people the hyper like rationalist people that are completely triggered right now just 
like just notice that and and like try to feel into like why that is because i'm not telling you that anything is true or false i'm just like thinking about a physical phenomena that occurs uh so i'm just like really curious to 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 hear from any of you maybe like i would love to hear if anybody's experiencing that or or if i think if people this... have a knee jerk reaction to this kind of stuff because they love a lot of things about the modern world and for great reason yeah absolutely and they man. don't want to give up their uh their internet i mean the internet is in- incredible I mean, and you don't how... have to man no, you don't have to. You don't have to become a hippie and start going to Burning Man and live in the forest to. Although I would recommend it. Things. <laughs> I would recommend going to Burning Man, um, and uh, I'll, I'll hopefully we'll see you guys there. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually wanted to um, suggest something that people do. I guess we're we're starting to do this more at the end of the episode. Um, something that people try to explore this concept. And I've done this a couple of times, and it's really cool. So just go out wherever you can in the near future. Hopefully you're not in the middle of a big city. Otherwise, you might have to take a drive. But if you can't do this, it's no big deal. But if you can, go out into a forested area, do a quick little Google search for where you are, find something that is edible, and eat it. Even if it's just a leaf or a flower or something like that. And make sure that it's not poisonous, please. Yes, but, um, I mean, there's that's another thing that is, is actually a lot... <laughs> People have just like germs and and a lot of other things. People have um, have this view in their head that most of the things out in the forest are poisonous. No, no, mo- the, the overwhelming majority of things you see out there are completely edible. They just yeah. taste shitty. Yeah, and there's just a few. the The main reason why I say that is because there are a few, like a very small few, kinds of plants that are poisonous that look really similar to another kind of plant that is edible. Uh, there's yeah, a couple different true. mushrooms and a couple different berries like that. Yeah, I wouldn't, so, I wouldn't start with mushrooms. No, it's probably and, not a good idea. And most inedible berries taste really bitter and bad. And you, you'll be you'll probably be able to know berries. They're, they're, if, if, you're, if you find an edible berry, they'll probably look a little bit like a raspberry or a blackberry. Um, and you can always look it up. You can look up yeah, the kinds you can, of you can stuff look that's up. in your area just to make sure. But uh, if you, yeah. um, just as, a, as an easy one, it's not very tasty, and you don't have to eat a lot of it. But just go out and eat something you find in the woods. Um, dandelions. Dandelions are edible. They grow damn near everywhere. If you find a dandelion, you can eat pretty much any part of it. Um, but yeah, just try, and don't eat anything that's growing out of like pavement or near a road that'll have a lot of like emissions from the cars in the plant and on the plant so try to go out in somewhere where there's a there's some forest around yeah and hopefully um, not a place where they've been dock uh dumping toxic sludge <laughs> into a nearby <laughs> river <laughs> yeah. 
which unfortunately oh, could very well be the case in your area. So just it could be. Think a little bit about that as well. I mean, it's not going to yeah. kill you, but it's, it's questionable. Yeah. Might, might not make you feel as good as, as you. I mean, are hoping. None of this stuff is going to kill you. I, I I would highly encourage people to to put their fear aside a little bit and not think that if they choose the wrong berry or the wrong leaf, they're going to die. The worst case scenario for most of these things is you're going to have a little bit of diarrhea or maybe throw up if you were to eat a poisonous berry or something. Yeah. I've Especially literally eaten eat berries that, that have that I looked up later that ha- contained cyanide in them. And um, if I ate an entire bunch of the berries, I would probably be really sick and vomit. And if I ate a pie made of these berries, I could potentially <laughs> die. But um, I ate a few of the berries, and they were so fucking bitter and gnarly that I couldn't even swallow them. <laughs> like, they looked delicious. They were these, like, dark, dark berries. And I found out, actually, interestingly enough, uh, now that I say uh, that about the pie, um, I'm pretty sure you can actually cook the cyanide out of them and make mm. pie with it. Um, There's not going to be a very good pie, though. <laughs> No, dude. It apparently, it's pretty good because uh, the, there's oh there's the bitterness the, is related bitterness, to some of the compounds that are the cooked bitterness out when gets you... baked out of it. Yeah, uh, makes sense. And a lot of this stuff is it works this way where there's various methods like acorns. Acorns are totally edible. They just have these things called tannins in them that make them really bitter. But you can boil out the tannins in acorns. So acorns yeah. are totally edible, and you can. You can just eat it with the tannins in it. It's not going to hurt you. It's just not going to taste that good. So that's another thing you could try eating. Just eat yeah. a fucking acorn. Yeah, so I guess to kind of like wrap up this segment, you know, this is something we're going to be talking about a lot. And I guess Nate and I just want to encourage everybody to keep an open mind and also just try to think about different ways different aspects of the so-called ancestral lifestyle that that had a very positive influence on on our ancestors and think about how we can incorporate those different elements into our own lives um yeah and i think that's kind of that's kind of the idea about this we're we're going to be exploring some different ideas going to some practical stuff and go into some other interesting ideas but i think that's kind of the main um the main point for for this segment yeah yeah it's it's an exploration of our ancestors and um what made them happy and also what made them the most successful species on the planet you know that's another thing that i think people forget is that our ancestors spread across the entire globe with this kind of living. We were already in the Americas before we started agriculture. We are already in Europe. We are already in Asia. Our species expanded across our entire planet through hunter-gathering, hunter-hunting and gathering. Yeah, and it wasn't through the exploitation of natural resources and the subjugation of other species. It was with it was in a ecology it was in it was within a sustainable ecology uh in which the human beings were just an integral part of the whole system rather than this new 
idea that we are the t- at the top of the hierarchy that and we decide everything that happens but folks remember just like just like this woman who who died because her microbiome got comp- her, she lost bi- the biodiversity in her gut and she died this is the same thing that can happen on a macro scale if we reach a certain point where there's not enough diversity to a biodiversity to um have a eco a sustainable cyclical ecosystem we will all die uh and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to catastrophize i'm just being real i mean i think the chances of that are very low uh but if we keep going in the direction we're going it's gonna happen for sure i this is the first podcast we've ended with. We're all gonna die. <laughs> no, and and I think you know, and because these things are all mirrored by by making these kind of decisions that are going to improve our own health and well being on an individual level, that process will have a ripple effect out into our local communities, and then from that out into the global population. That's it. Definitely does. It definitely does. I, I mean, I learned about this through Chris Ryan, who I heard 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 on Joe Rogan's podcast. Heard learned about Jeff Leach on Chris Ryan's podcast. I've learned about so many things from just and, and Jeff Leach is some dude who lives in like freaking Turlingwood, Texas, out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. Never got a doctorate, and now he's been educating us on our microbiome. I mean, these things can totally have wide ranging effects that we don't expect in the beginning. So try out some, some methods, do a little research, learn a little bit about, um, this subject and, uh, what we're, what we've got too much of in our society and maybe a little bit of what we're missing. Yeah. And I guess one last thing, I know there's a tendency for a lot of people when when we start talking about these big subjects, these global catastrophes, to start freaking out and hyper focusing and getting and falling prey to the negativity bias, and going, "Oh fuck, we gotta fix this shit right now." Um, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we start with ourselves because we're not going to be able to create a sustainable community and we're not going to be able to heal the world if we are sick yeah as um jack cornfield says tend the part of the garden you can touch exactly and we start with ourselves and then once you know there there, we reach a point when we're ready to bring what we have learned our experience and our gifts to everyone else but but i think it's very important that we cultivate that stuff within ourselves uh rather than focusing totally on the external uh from the beginning yeah and but we can still of course be aware of these things we can do what we can um but yeah this is just a little there's some thoughts from nate and i we love you guys thank you so much for tuning in we really appreciate you guys coming back every week and uh, or every every whenever you do every, every other out. week for now, you know, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, we we appreciate you guys. We love you, and uh, we'll be back in another two weeks. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's see here. If you would like to interact with us on social media, at Casual Cognition on Instagram, you can hit us up, follow us. Also, our email, casualcognitioncast at gmail.com. If you want to send us any questions, if you want to share some of your awesome stuff, give it a go. One last thing, we just discovered that you can actually send us a voice message. Uh, if you go to anchor.fm slash casualcognitioncast slash message, you can send us a voice message and we might play it on the next episode of Casual Cognition. Hit us up, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>